You're listening to your superpowered mind on the Superpower Up podcast, the show that investigates the innate power within your brain to create lasting change. Hello, everyone. Welcome to your superpowered mind. I am your host, Kristen Maxwell, and in this show, we explore the process of transformation and give you tools and strategies that you can use to transform your own life. Today, I am very excited to be talking to Dr. Stephanie Kreisberg about thriving after a narcissistic mother. And Dr. Kreisberg is a clinical psychologist with extensive training in the treatment of anxiety disorders and the use of hypnotherapy. One of her specialties is helping adults with narcissistic parents to lead happier, healthier lives. She's also the author recently of Adult Daughters of Narcissistic Mothers. And I am really excited to have Dr. Kreisberg on the show because I have a number of friends and clients who um, have recently come to uh, decide and or wonder whether their parents have actually some narcissistic tendencies. And I know it's really a struggle. So, what a wonderful uh, opportunity to to learn more about that. And what can you do if that's something that you're struggling with? So welcome. Um, would you like me to call you Stephanie or Dr. Kreisberg? Sorry. Oh, Stephanie is just fine, Kristen. Okay, great. Well, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. I'm, I love your podcast and I'm, I'm really delighted to be here. Oh, good. Well, thank you. So, you know, my, my first question is always, what superpower did you uncover in the process of mastering your mind? Well, I think that's such a great question. And um, paradoxically, what I discovered that was most helpful to me and that I love to share with my clients is that I could not control my mind and Mm. that we cannot stop our thoughts. And let me explain that. I am someone who's always worried a lot and then felt bad that I couldn't control my worried thoughts. And then I learned that it's, it's not possible or even helpful to try and stop those worried thoughts. The most transformative thing for me was to learn that I, what's much more helpful is to notice our thoughts, to step back from them, and just to notice them, label them, notice them drifting by like like clouds in the sky. And this is not easy to do. It takes practice. It doesn't mean we like our thoughts or want them, but we accept that we have them. We stop fighting them. And that's Mm -hmm. been the most transformative thing for, for me in my mind. Yes, that is so interesting. And you know, as somebody who has in my life, I, I got into all of this because I have always been very, very anxious, very anxious. Um, and I did very much beat myself up for, you know, a, why am I doing this? I should not be doing this. Um, you know, you know, it doesn't make sense and all of that sort of stuff. And um it's very funny because I think about the way that I went around dealing with it was very it was a little bit different from yours. And I love 
that you were actually able to um, let your thoughts be there. Um, yes, exactly. And um, I'm not saying it's easy, but what right. I learned is that the more we try to push them away, what you know, there's a saying: what we resist persists. Mm-hmm. And taking the approach, the approach of let's notice them, let's let them go like waves in the ocean is Mm. actually a really powerful tool for me in transforming my mind. Yes, that is amazing. And yes, I think that's also partly what I did as I learned I had to just rather than just getting stuck in what the thoughts were is just go into, oh my gosh, I am scared. I am really afraid and just feel the fear rather mm-hmm. than trying to push it away too. Mm-hmm. So probably the same thing, just a different, different labels. But anyway, I have just gone way off track, but that's an amazing skill because there are so many people who are really, really dealing with anxiety. Um, and I know you know a lot about that, but I really do want to ask you today about um, what to do and what kind of impacts and what, what are you going to notice and find in yourself if you have a family member, particularly a parent, who is a narcissist? Um, mm-hmm. And before we get into that, though, I want to just take a break and get that done. Can you let people know um, about your book and where they can find it? And then we'll, you know, we'll take a break and come back and get into it. Great. Thank you. Um, My book, Adult Daughters of Narcissistic Mothers, um, is available on, you know, Amazon or, you know, really wherever books are sold. And in addition to that, um, the best place to find me is through my website, which is drstephaniecreesberg.com. That's D-R-Stephanie, the P-H, Creesberg. K-R-I-E-S-B-E-R-G.com. Great. Thank you. Hang on, everybody. And in a moment, we will come back and talk to Stephanie a bit more about what does it take to thrive after having a narcissistic mother? Hello, everyone. I'm Tonya Don Reckla, Director of Superpower Experts. If you're ready to activate your superpowers and turn your lifetime journey into the journey of a lifetime, go to superpowerexperts.com and get started today. So welcome back, everyone. I guess what I where I want to start with this is, you know, what I've seen with people going through this is at first, it's almost, it takes a while for people to realize that they potentially might have had a parent that was narcissistic. So what is narcissism and what does it look like in people? Mm, Well, that's a good question. And um, the way I try to summarize it, and, you know, it's also not unusual. I mean, I have people coming into my office, um, you know, even in their 70s or, or 80s, just starting to figure this out. Um, But basically, um, someone who has narcissistic traits or behaviors is someone who immature inside has never psychologically matured. They're like a child in an adult 
body. And some of the core traits of narcissism is that these are people who have very fragile self-esteem. Inside, they're deeply insecure, even though they may look like on the outside, like they have all the confidence in the world. And they rely on other people or events to help them feel good about themselves or to what we say in psychology, to regulate their emotions, to manage their emotions, to help them feel good. Now, we all do this to some degree, right? I mean, if you get a compliment Uh or something goes well at work, you feel good. Um, That's normal. But with narcissism, it's like you're empty inside. And if somebody doesn't fill you up the way you want, you sort of collapse and you might react with rage, criticism, even depression, because other people are sort of just an extension of you to keep you on an even keel. And you can imagine then if you are this person's child, what that's like to grow up, not to be your own person um, and to be loved and cared for by your parent, to be your own person and cared for, but to be there to keep your parent feeling good about themselves. That is a really hard job. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of the core of narcissism. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I assume there's probably, can somebody have narcissistic traits without being like a full-blown narcissist? You know, is it a scale sort of? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's really important point that narcissism occurs on a spectrum. Mm-hmm. And it can come on, come and go. So someone can have a few narcissistic traits, um, or they can have a whole lot, in which case that could be they have a personality disorder, or they mm-hmm. can have a, a little bit of it. And also, for some people, if things are going well in their lives, maybe those traits and behaviors are going to be under control. Or if something isn't going well in their life, they lost a job, it's going to come out in full force. And that's why it can be so confusing to the child or teen growing up in that family because it can be a roller coaster. They don't really know what to expect. And so they grow up being very, um, can grow up being hypervigilant is what we say in psychology, always on the lookout, coming home. I don't know what parent to expect. And then on top of it, When you are narcissistic, another key trait is, or traits, is that you lack empathy. You don't understand other people's feelings. You can't put yourself in somebody else's shoes. And if that, if you are that person's child, that is really hard, that your parent just doesn't understand how you feel. And because that's what we need to do as parents, right? is to really try to understand our child's feelings and validate them. And so a child grows up just feeling invisible and that their feelings and needs don't count or worse, that they're just a burden. Mm. Yeah, that's very interesting. I'm just making notes because it's... um, Yeah, and I could see... 
how this could be especially confusing because as kids, we don't sit there and analyze whether our parents are showing up in the way we actually need them to show up or not. We, we have to get away from them a bit to start to even realize that. And if the parent is especially sometimes can show up for the child in some ways, I could see how, you know, it, it's difficult to say, wait, oh, this is actually what was going on at those other times. That's right. And you mentioned a moment ago that, you know, people, you know, you know, friends or people in your practice maybe are just starting to figure it out as adults. And, and that's, well, that's very common, to, you know, maybe they don't figure it out till they're in their forties or, or fifties because, you know, and that happens for a couple of different reasons. And one is when you grow up with a narcissistic parent, you grow up feeling with um, one, there's something wrong with me because you often get um, grow up feeling responsible for your parents' feelings and problems. So you think, well, they're just, if something goes wrong with in a relationship or in my life, there's just, I'm just flawed in some way. And so it takes a while to kind of sometimes step back. Sometimes it's just an accident for many people I work with. Someone just says to them, you know, I, I've heard about your mom or your parent and I've met them and, and I think they might be narcissistic. And then just something clicks. Mm. Um, and they grow up, um, Kristen, with so much self-doubt. You know, if you grow up in a family where you are not raised to sort of find yourself, be yourself, um, allowed to be, you know, your authentic um, self because you're so busy taking care of your parent, um, you grow up to doubt yourself, to feel not important, and you're constantly second-guessing yourself. Mm. Yeah, because that's what that was my next question is like, so what are some of the symptoms or the the feelings or the experiences that children, well, grown up adults of um, narcissistic parents have? So you said they're, you know, they're hypervigilant. Um, and so does this continue on in their life? You know, what kinds of things will, will they be dealing with? Oh, it sure does continue. And I would say some of the most prominent um, issues that I see in adults and that people struggle with are one, feeling that there's something wrong with me, a deep sense of shame and isolation that, and that people don't talk about it. Um, feeling like, well, if there's something, you know, if it's sort of like, well, if my own parent doesn't really love me or see me, there must really be something wrong with me and that they don't talk about it with other people. That's why I'm so grateful for podcasts like this mm -hmm. to kind of get the word out. Um, and so they feel like just deeply bad about themselves. They second guess themselves and doubt their own sense of, you know, what's right. And that comes from that so often when you grow up with a parent with narcissistic traits, they make you doubt your sense of reality. 
And now mm-hmm. we're very familiar with a word called gaslighting. Um, in fact, that was the word of the year for the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. Oh, wow. That, right? Yes. Isn't that unbelievable? And that is very common in narcissistic families. Okay. Make we are, And that's when someone makes you doubt your sense of reality or your own mm-hmm. feelings. And so let's say, how would that look in a narcissistic family? So let's say a child comes home and they didn't get invited to a birthday party and they're really upset about it. Okay. You know, you might expect a parent to, you know, comfort their child. So um, a narcissistic parent might just say, oh, you are so, you know, you're so oversensitive. You just so overreact. Um, So the child just learns to just doubt their own feelings. Or the parent might take the stance of, you know, what did you do so that you didn't get invited to that party? Like, did you do something so they don't want Mm -hmm. you to come? Because for the parent, the narcissistic parent, it is an insult against them. They feel it as what we call in psychology, a narcissistic injury. They're the one who feels the wound instead of feeling and relating to their child's pain. Yeah. Um, So they sort of take it over almost, it sounds like, like this is about me. (laughs) Exactly. You hit the nail on the head, Kristen. Mm -hmm. Everything is about them. Everything is about me. So then the child, you know, who can't even understand this just feels confused. I had these sad feelings. I had pain. And then all of a sudden, it's not about me at all. Either I was too sensitive, so I learned to just squash my feelings down and question my feelings, which were, of course, totally legitimate. Or, you know, somehow this is about my mother or my parent. And so they learn that I have to please everybody. So Mm. many adults with narcissistic parents become sort of the ultimate, you know, always needing to please other people at the expense of themselves and have a very hard time saying no and setting boundaries, uh, no matter, you know, the cost to them. Yes, yes. And that definitely comes up, um, you know, and I can imagine when you then go to have your own relationships and children, you need to be able to um, be very strong in yourself and who you are. So I guess then the next question that I have is, okay, so somebody starts to recognize, all right, yes, okay, one of my parents or my mother was especially because they seem to be the ones who do uh, usually traditionally do a lot of emotional support. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my mom was narcissistic and I have some of these you know, this self-doubt and this just inability to really be present for myself is all lost or what do you do then? (laughs) Oh, I don't think all all is lost. I think um, one of the most important things that I have found that helps people first is, is education, is learning about narcissism just like we're talking about here, you know, what it is, how it develops, and and how it's impacted 
somebody because people grow up feeling, you know, so alone and isolated. One woman told me um, that she feels like as a daughter of a narcissistic mother, she said, we're a secret society. Um, Mm. You know, maybe you're at the bus stop and you're talking, you know, the other, you know, adults are talking about, oh, well, you know, I'm going to see my family and I'm excited about that. And, you know, you just feel so ashamed that, you know, your relationship is just so incredibly difficult. Um, So just learning about narcissism and how it impacted you and that you were really being raised by an emotional child is just, that's the first step in feeling freer. It's sort of like recognizing that it is not a problem with you that you're not getting, that you don't have a close relationship with your parent. It's a problem with them. <laughs> that's right. And that you are not, that you are not defective. Um, mm-hmm. Exactly. And then, you know, so many women, you know, come into my practice and say, uh, I don't, know what I feel. And, you know, maybe I saw a therapist who said, well, talk about your feelings. And I don't even know what I feel because the only way to survive in my family was to squish down all my feelings. Because if I talked about my feelings, I was told I was too sensitive or I was criticized or, you know, my parent was the one who was allowed to have feelings, not Mm. me. And so just starting to learn in little ways, you know, using some practices from mindfulness, little by little, just to identify, well, what do you feel? How does it feel when you're just sitting, you know, having a cup of tea, smelling the tea, um, going for a walk, noticing things around you, tiny practices, daily practices, sort of like you were talking about in one of your podcasts, Um, Mm -hmm. daily practices to start to notice what you're feeling. Yes. Yes. And then to understand that a lot of the um, reactions that you have, anxiety, shame, even, you know, anger reactions are very common, wanting to isolate. Um, Those are reactions and feelings that kind of got laid down in your brain a long time ago. And that's how our brain works. When we have traumatic experiences, they get kind of stamped into the emotional part of our brain when we're stressed and traumatized. And when you can start to recognize the triggers and that these are automatic reactions, you can start to um, update your brain. You can start to say, oh, this is what I feel. And this is what it you know, this is what triggers these, you know, maybe when I act, when I want to hide or isolate or I overreact. And now I know where it's coming from. And I can slow down and practice a new reaction um, that's more aligned with the kind of person that I want to be. So Mm -hmm. it's about really bringing awareness from the past the present and identifying how do I really want to live? What are my values? How do I want to show up in the world? And by values, I don't mean like right or wrong values. Mm -hmm. I mean like what matters. 
matters to me? What's the kind of person I want to be? Do I want to be someone who is kind or values nature or takes good care of my health or, and those are the um, ways of being that can drive your life. Yes. That's so interesting. Yeah. And it's, um, it's like starting all over again Mm -hmm. of like, okay, now I get to really learn that it's safe to pay attention to me. That's a very good way to put it. Yeah. Which is, I, you know, that with, with many of my clients, that is definitely a factor. It's just this lack of feeling of safety Mm -hmm. to do anything other than hide at some level, you know, because that is their automatic reaction. And I guess one of the, the, you sort of alluded to it earlier, um, is I would imagine that it's really hard to set boundaries. Like there's, I know there's a lot of talk about people saying, I don't know how to set boundaries. And I would imagine that that would be kind of a result of having a narcissist or could be a result of having a narcissistic parent. Mm -hmm. Just because if you don't, you know, if you're trying to please everyone else um, at the expense of yourself or don't even know what you want, sort of there's a way in which you maybe are living your life without, you know, and then only subsequently realizing, oh, I didn't like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Is that true? Is that? Oh, yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right, Kristen, because, and, you know, you just said it, that in order to set boundaries, one, you know, you have to know what you feel and what you want. And you have to be able to identify that. And when you grow up with a narcissistic parent, you know, you learn to just shove, you know, your own needs underground. Maybe they never even came to the surface because you were so busy. Everything revolved around the parent. So maybe you didn't even learn to identify what you, you know, wanted in the first place. Um, Or it's so easy to feel like I am not worth anything. If I say no to somebody that I will lose them. I will lose their love. I will lose this relationship. Mm -hmm. So I have to bend over backwards to keep this relationship and do what other people want. So it's really a matter of practicing, you know, little by little, um, taking, honestly, taking baby steps um, to set boundaries in small ways and uh, on small things, not, you know, the biggest thing in the world um, and practice tolerating the uncomfortable feelings that go along with it. Mm-hmm. You know, feeling scared, feeling uncomfortable, feeling anxious. How do you manage that? How do you manage the fear? Um mm-hmm. And that is one of the key components because for most people trying something new, it's the fear of the fear. It's the Mm -hmm. fear of, I won't be able to handle that feeling. Yes. Yes. And it's so funny because even just looking at that, oh yeah, you're right. What I am afraid is the fear of the feeling. It's like, Mm -hmm. oh, then maybe I can. Yeah. And you know, the thing that, that I, I find again and again is there's, a way in which people are like, well, it doesn't make sense. 
that if I say no, I'm going to lose them. I know I'm not going to, you know, for like an example, a child Mm -hmm. or a husband, I know I'm not going to lose them, but you can know that. And I always give the statistic, I make it up completely. 98% of you can know that. But if you have a 2% part of you that learned very, very early, had that very basic fear of, you know, when I say no, my mom disappears and it's not safe and I can't survive, that part is going to scream at you mm-hmm. when you try to do it. And so that's why there's this. This, this behaviors and feelings that really don't make sense to our logical mind. And that's, that's normal. Right. Yeah. Like, for example, for like one person, it might be you order coffee in a restaurant and ask for skim milk and they bring you cream. And for that person, it literally might be too, you know, anxiety producing to say, to ask the server, you know, I asked for skim milk. Can I please get that? Because you know, what if she doesn't like me? What if she gets mad at me? Mm-hmm. Um, because you're so used to just having to be good and quiet and suppress your own needs. So it might just start out by practicing something little like that, you know, asking the server for the type of milk you want for your coffee um, before you start out with something big. You know, you're not going to start yeah. out at asking your boss for a raise. Right, right. Yeah, that would be too much. <laughs> right. So yeah. practicing small things that build up the, that muscle that help you feel like I can tolerate this feeling of, you know, I can handle it. And maybe she will like, you know, huff off. Who knows? But even if she does, the server, you can handle it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Well, so we are, believe it or not, almost out of time. Is there something else that you would want people to know if, you know, this is something that they are um, becoming aware of or learning to deal with that I've forgotten to ask you? (laughs) Oh, gosh, I would just want to really emphasize um, the most important thing is that you are not alone, that it can really feel when you grew up in this type of family that you are alone and that really deep shame goes along with it. And so I just urge people to read about it, to talk to someone, to share it with a friend, because once the shame and secrecy and isolation starts to lessen, that is really the first step and a gift you're giving to yourself. Uh, That's great. Thank you. So thank you so much, Stephanie, for sharing your knowledge and getting this out here um, and helping people to realize that it's not really a problem with them and that they can do something about it to, you know, to be, to feel more centered and safe. Well, thank you for this opportunity. I'm, I'm just so grateful for it. Thank you. Thank you so much. And listeners, thank you again for being here, for showing up for yourselves Until next time, go out and remember that you do hold the power to change and transform your world. Take care. Are you ready to discover your superpowers? Go now to superpowerexperts.com and take the superpower quiz today. 